Set aside your fantasy and sci-fi doorstoppers. Sometimes big ideas come in small packages. This is Word Less. How'd your week go, Mark? My week's been incredible. I'm done traveling for the year, which is great. How about you? Doing okay. Uh, doing some extra time at work because the catering manager does my job when I am on my days off. So I've had extra days because she's been very busy because the restaurant is very busy, which is good. Because January is going to suck. <laughs> Imagine this is a busy time of year for you. Yeah, for sure. Um. Well, tonight we're discussing The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury, which was published in 1950. He's a mid-century sci-fi author and screenplay writer, most known for Fahrenheit 451. But we are talking about this slightly less well-known book. So what did you think of The, the Martian book? Chronicles, right? Yeah, The Martian Chronicles. I said The Martian Chronicles. Tonight? Yeah. I just, I'm just fascinated by your ability to choose like books that our, our, my high school teacher made me read, you know, at some point. Um, <laughs> it's like, wow, Edgar Allan Poe, yep, I remember that one in seventh grade. Oh, look, Martian Chronicles, I remember getting that one in ninth grade. Yeah, like, gee, thanks. So, um, but no, I, I kid, I kid. It's uh, it, it was good to reread this uh, this story. Well, this is my first time ever reading it, actually. It's something that's like I've always meant to read, but never have. So, so what do you think about it? It's interesting. Uh, there, there are things I definitely like about it. I like Ray Bradbury as a writer. Um, I really enjoyed Something w- Wicked This Way Comes. But it, it's, it feels like, and I, I looked at the w- Wikipedia page for it, and I was correct. It feels like a bunch of short stories stuffed together, then some filler put in to make it a novel because it's not a novel. Even oh, it's, it's absolutely not a novel. It's it's um, how do I put this? It's the story about the ex- exploration, colonization, and decolonization of Mars. It's not about any one person. It's about the arc of the existence of of humanity on Mars. Right. And it's very, um, so the first, like, set of stories seem to really go together. And then you have a bunch of stories in the middle that are vignettes. And then you have, like, the last few stories that seem to to be us together, if that makes sense. So Absolutely. It, was just, it was really interesting. And uh, also, you know, he's just a good writer. He's a lot of fun to read. Oh, absolutely. So I I do think he's a good writer. It's, how do I put this? You can tell that he's definitely from the 20th century. He's definitely a mid-20th century writer. Having said that, it's not, it feels a little bit dated. It feels dated a little bit, but more in the terms of how the people talk to each other and how people feel about certain things. But it's not, it doesn't feel dated in the sense of, it didn't feel, um, how do I put this? Uh, 
it, like people today think that that you know any subtle thing done in the past is well that's racist or that's sexist or that's gendered or that's something like that. And I never got that impression in, in this book. Yeah, for sure. It 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 it, it reads mid twentieth century, but it has very many universal appeals to it. But man, well it is put. so so cold war y. <laughs> like there's just a well, lot of it is, but and this is something we, we talked about off off screen, but like for me at least, one of the overall things that I took from this book, and again, this could be from a twenty first century perspective, but to me there was a heavy tinge of colonialism in this book. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh the first part of the story talked about the Mars natives and how they met humans and then how the humans ended up taking over Mars. And that had a very kind of arrival to North America, Native American kind of feel to it. At least to me, it did. Yeah, I think there was some of that. But I would push back a little bit because the Mar the Martians aren't um, the Martians aren't necessarily all that great either. <laughs> So are you implying that the Native Americans were better? I mean, they, they were humans. No, no. I mean, they, the Native That's... Americans were people. They were people just like yeah. all people are people. And, um, right. I mean, the first astronaut just straight up gets killed. <laughs> he just shows up and gets killed by a jealous husband, which was so weird. That was very weird. They all but... get killed. They all get killed, eventually. Well, yeah, and then they commit... <laughs> They commit a group of astronauts to an insane asylum because they can't they they don't believe this is all spoilers. Spoilers from the very beginning, I know, but because they don't believe that that life could even exist on Earth, which I found fascinating. Like that whole storyline. Well, maybe this is a good entree to talk about my story then, because you're already talking about the, the, the first story. So that what you were talking about was the second expedition, right? Right. About the insane asylum. So the story I picked was actually called Third Expedition. So in the story before mine is they, they think they're all supposed to be, they, they think that they're all a figment of their imagination. They're not real. They're committed to an insane asylum. And so since he's incurable, since they, they believe that the leader of, of the Earth, Earth people are is incurable, they kill him. Right. Well, and yes, because they... And then he, then the psychiatrist kills himself because he thinks he must be insane because the other people don't disappear. Because they're telepathic. So, before we get into your story, how do you feel about the whole telepathy thing? Actually, I thought it added nice flavor to the story in terms of, it, it explained why, for example, the Martians could see the humans. But because they're viewing them telepathically. That's that's the impression I got. You don't they're not necessarily viewing them with their eyes and their ears or whatever. They're viewing them telepathically. They can't differentiate a Martian versus a human, an earthling, um, just by vision. They they're looking at their mind. And so to them, earthlings are crazy <laughs> because they don't think like a Martian. I also enjoyed how it played out through a bunch of the different stories. You have the little Martian boy. So he's looking for contact because there are, are no other Martians. He just wants community or something. So he makes himself into the, the little boy. 
that this this couple had lost and then they go into town and like he gets torn apart by all the mines in the town because he can't shut it off and i just found that a fascinating story so well that, that that's the thing so i guess we have a little bit of a different viewpoint about telepathy because my takeaway for the kind of telepathy and this is just from a writing perspective is that the first half of the book has a very horror-esque feel to it a what at least if you look horror oh yes yeah, because sure. if okay. you're looking from the Earthlings point of view, they don't understand what's going on and all this incredible stuff is happening. And they're like, why is this happening? And then they die. Right. Um, so. To me, at least in terms of a writing perspective, I really feel like the telepathy was used by Ray Bradbury as a vehicle to. Make people have that spine tingly. Oh, this is creepy kind of feel to it. It's the only way, I mean, maybe he had another purpose, but that was, for me, that, that was my takeaway from reading the first half of the story, first half of the books. Right. I'd say, I, I agree that it was definitely used for horror-ish um, purposes, but there's still, like, the whole book kind of has a horror feel to it in a lot of ways. It's not in your face, Stephen King horror, it's, it just makes you uncomfortable when you read it. It's a creeping sense of doom and the, yep. Yep. the, the tragedy of, of, of viewed from one perspective, it's viewed as, as a success, but like, for example, the colonization of Mars can be viewed as a success by the people colonizing it. Right. But he never puts in the perspective of the triumphalist. You're always mm -hmm. in the perspective of the person that's losing out. So whether at the beginning, whether it's the Martians who are getting ready to lose their planet, or if it's in the middle, the people losing their sense of self, or if it's at the end where it's the people who are no longer going to live on Mars are going to go back to Earth, right? So you're never in the position of the person who's succeeding. You're always in the position of the, of the person who's failing. Even that one story, which is the only one that is outright funny, with the phone calls, and he finds out there's a woman on Mars with him, but she's so repulsive that he never answers the phone again, even mm -hmm. though he's desperate for human contact. Which, I mean, it's sad, but it was also actually very, very funny. This poor yeah. guy. He's like, <laughs> but he's kind of a loser, and she's a loser, but anyway, it, uh, yeah. So uh, we're going to talk about the third contact first. So do you have a summary you want to give? So sure. So this is obviously the humanity's third attempt at uh, exploring Mars. And when they arrive on Mars, they find it to be uh, habitable by humans. And they find a, a small town, let's say. And in this small town, it's essentially a recreation of, of Earth. And people are finding their long-lost relatives, whether it's somebody from, like, their great-grandmother or their grandfather or their brother, etc. And um, Captain remains skeptical throughout. He keeps on suspecting that there's something going on until he finds his brother. 
and they all reconnect with all these all these people and they reconnect with everybody who who they believe to be they delude themselves into believing it's it's their human counterparts and then they go to sleep and as the captain goes to sleep he realizes I don't know whether this should be going on. He tries to leave the house and he says, I'm just going to go get some water. And his brother, and I'm putting that in quotes, says, you're not thirsty. And then the next thing you see is uh, the story talks about how the humans are being uh, covered in, in earth, meaning in dirt, because they've all been killed by the Martians who've been telepathically hiding themselves as, as earthlings to lure them into an unsuspecting trap and kill them. Hey. The thing I really like, speaking of creeping horror, about this is this particular story is that he's like, how how can this whole like this is my hometown? Like, how is this here? And the Martians have basically stolen memories out of the human minds in order to trap them, and it was so just. Yeah, his brother, his brother in quotes, <sighs> rolling over and saying, you're not thirsty. And just stabbing him. And then they have a funeral at the end. And like a straight up human funeral. Except for wives-esque, right? Kind of uncanny valley. Like they're pretending yeah. to be human, but they're not human, right? Yeah, yeah. And the fact that the Martians can make themselves look human to the humans is so freaking creepy. Ugh. Well, and like, and, and for me, this is, uh, I'm going to go back to the part where you disagree with me, but if you look at this from like, you know, uh, the colonization of the Americas, at some point, the Native Americans realized, hey, they're coming to take our stuff, right? So, and they knew, they knew the deal, they knew what was going on, so what would happen? Yeah, come here, we're, we're going to help you, and then you'd end up with a whole bunch of like, dead, like, you know, British Americans, whoever it may be, trying to, to come into their territory. But interestingly, the first, the first, and this is probably true for um, uh, America as well, the first astronauts just want to say, hey, we're here, let's talk, let's be friends. And it all goes wrong. It's like, the ultimate cult culture clash. Yeah, well, everything I mean, just goes wrong. Everything that Ray Bradbury is the beginning is both a celebration and a critique of uh, American exceptionalism or American American triumphalism. Right? We can do this. Right. We can do anything we set our minds to. Of course, we can. We can get to Mars because we're Americans. I mean, that's that's kind yeah. of was the attitude pervasive throughout with all the astronauts, right? Right. Well, and even there's a line in the story about how the people kept coming, but they were all Americans because only Americans had the rockets. Right. Because that goes to your Cold War now, uh, Cold War thing. Because underlying throughout all this, there's this huge tension of they call it an atom war, but basically a nuclear war going on. And America, in the story, had the biggest stick and was it theoretically was able to dominate the rest of the world at that time. Right. Right. No, I, I don't think we disagree. I just think we have different feelings, shall I say, about the stories, which is good. I mean, that's what good stories do. 
What do you think about the the timeline? Because I believe it's the story so I picked was like 2027 or something like that, right? But, yeah, the first one was 2021. The first story, right. the, the Summer of Rockets. It's so weird to read that because it's like um, this commentator I always, I listen to a lot who says, where are my jetpacks? I <laughs> I thought we were going to have jetpacks when I was a kid. I mean, it's it's set at basically seventy years from the date of that the story was written. So, I mean, he was like, "Look, in about a century, I'm expecting us to be on Mars." And and also just how little time between the expeditions, because it's like it takes five years to get to Mars right now, or something like that. You know, <laughs> it's a really long time. But he's so just always like, fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. They always find it interesting with science fiction authors how sometimes they can absolutely 100% nail, just absolutely nail, kind of like where, where we'll be in science, and then how sometimes it's just not even close. Not It's yeah. like, in this case, you know, I don't know whether it's just, well, I mean, if you think about it, at the time we were trying to get to the moon, we were trying to get into, into space, so there's a huge element of optimism there, right? So, it's just, it's it's not a critique, it's just a comment of, I just find that, just that whole concept interesting. Yeah, well, like, I think we talked about this before, but our cell phones are basically the communicators from Star Trek. 100%. <laughs> ch- chicken or the egg, I don't know whether Star Trek, like, oh, we need to do this, or whether it, it kind of all exists in the atmosphere, and it's like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, that's a weird thing about science fiction. So I picked uh, the night meeting. Um, this you picked guy, the hippie story. <laughs> it's not hippie. I don't think it's hippie. <laughs> I disagree, but yeah. sure, whatever. Um, these uh, this man meets a Martian on the way to the basically a barn raising in this new town. I love how they keep saying Oregon timber, by the way, in that story. I was just like, yeah, go Oregon. <laughs> we have the best timber. Anyway, um, <laughs> so they meet at a road, on a road, and the Martian is going one way. He's going the other, and the Martian is going to a festival. And he he says, I can see the festival. I can see the lights. I see the beautiful maidens. and." And whatever. And the other guy, the human, looks back and says, those are ruins. And so you get this weird kind of time. I picked it because it felt like um, like a timelines crossing. And you, like, the Martian is dead already. And the human is just newly arrived. And, like, how history touches I guess. I don't know. I'm not saying it right. I, I found this story interesting from the sense of it kind of gives you a scale of if, if you look at people instead of like as individuals, but as uh, cultures living in a fixed location here on Mars. But like, let's just take as an example, you know, Oregon, right? Um, 300 years ago, there were Native Americans living in Oregon, right? And right. They couldn't. They couldn't envision having me and you kind of sitting here talking on uh, 
talking on the internet about about a story. It's it, it's not something that that they could ever contemplate because they'd be doing their version of going to a festival and their version of doing that, and that's the world that they knew, right? But that world mm-hmm. no longer exists, and that to us seems either in the distant past or something that that is so alien to us we can't really conceptualize it right and so we're living in our version of this right so at the same time you're both we're all both the martian Mm -hmm. and the human right we're both yep so that's what i found about the story and well it starts out with him at a gas station and he's talking to this old guy and he's like, well, I came to Mars because I just wanted to see something new. And I don't want to talk to old people because they're all old and they all think the same things. And and this guy going to this brand new town, it just is, I mean, that it, that is so life, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I mean, for crying out loud, Roman roads are still around. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I thought of when I was reading this story. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And I, I actually I think it's interesting how uh, the way they spin the story, it's that the the Martian culture was always so much more advanced than the human culture. Yeah, Despite it definitely lives in the past. It, it kind of goes to what you're talking about, what you're talking about Romans. Like, for, mm-hmm. for the longest time, everybody always thought the Roman culture was the peak of civilization. Right. Exactly. And, I mean, they make, they still have better concrete than we have. <laughs> Their concrete is still around. Ours goes bad after 100 years. I mean, mm-hmm. so, yeah, it definitely had that feel to it as well. And you have this ruin that still exists. And then you have this bunch of slapped up buildings that with new timber and they are going to rot away eventually. But the ruins still are over there. And neither side can recognize the the existence of the other. Right. You don't understand. You don't exist. No, you don't understand. You don't exist. Right, right. Yeah. That kind of says something. Yeah. Yeah. So I I just really enjoyed this. It's very time capsule-y. It's very much a work of its time, but it has, it touches on things that are so human or so just part of life. And it doesn't preach at you. It just, like you said, offers a subtle critique. As well as, well, you said doesn't preach. So there is one story I almost picked that that is a little preachy. Oh, there it is. Kind of, yes, it's very, very well, preachy. So, <laughs> that so, one so is. There's, yeah, because Ray Bradbury kind of has a bee in his bonnet for um, any kind of censorship of any kind whatsoever, and that's anyone who's read four, Fahrenheit 451 knows exactly what I'm talking about. So um, he had a very healthy skepticism of. Um, any type of control on uh, control of ideas, thoughts, speech, anything of that sort, and he had a healthy skepticism of, of government intervening in any way, shape, or form on, on in, in the culture. <laughs> so, yep. um, so he does have a story where 
he basically goes out of his way to, to, to blast the concept of like any future society is probably going to have heightened government control and um and he is very much against the idea that government to the extent that it has the ability to control someone's thoughts he is stalwartly against that i was actually thinking about the one where the um the black southerners are all going to mars that one was kind of oh my god too. yeah that's another one too yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. And those those two stories, the one that's the fall of the House of Usher and um, way up in the middle of the air, both don't feel like they fit in this. N- not that they're not good stories or whatever, just that they don't fit in this collection. They're kind of just, does that make sense? They just don't fit. It does, so that, but that, but you know, there's a whole part of in the middle of the the middle of the book. I, would, I call that kind of like the the loss of the sense, of, the loss of identity, or the the, the accumulation of identity among the humans. So that how I took that as people become more or less Martian as time goes on. So, yeah. Oh. But I gotta say, in uh, way up in the middle of the air, what? Yeah, you froze. Oh, go ahead. I said. Okay, so way. I said, go ahead. Oh, so way up in the middle of the air, when the hit the, I guess he's like the shop boy. He's driving off, and he turns back and looks at the mean old racist that was his boss, and he says, "What are you gonna do with your weekends now?" I love that line. <laughs> And he think because the guy sits down and he thinks, what am I going to do? What is he even talking about? And then he remembers <laughs> what he does with his weekends, which is lynch black people. And uh, it was it was a it was very a very subtle dig. It, it's also very weird to read in 2003 that that Jim Crow is still a thing. <laughs> well, no, look, I mean, well, not 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 so crazy, really. I mean, look and. I love the the statement of look, you know, racists are gonna have a hard time dealing with themselves if if they don't have anything to be racist against. <laughs> you you set your whole identity yep. to be this, and yep. then when it doesn't exist, then what are you? I mean, yeah, I love it. Yeah, and you just I, it was good. I, I it was really good. It just felt weird in this particular collection of stories. I think if I had encountered it on its own, I would have a different reaction to it. And also, um, (laughs) I love the line in the uh, House of Usher where uh, the guy says to the the inspector, he goes, if you had read Mr. Poe instead of burning him, you'd have realized what I was going to do to you. Because he's he's walling the dude in. He puts a he puts a he puts a Joker hat on his head, and he says, "Make make the hat tingle, just a little tingle. Maybe I'll stop walling you in." <laughs> it's so good. Nope. Nope. Anyway, yeah. um, yeah. Me, it's a fun. Anyway, bu- so it's, I, I, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say it's just a fun. It's just the the whole story. They're delightful. What I like about this I mean, book is everything... that 
Yeah, it's like I, I read this in one sitting, but genuinely you could read because each short story is somewhere between twenty to thirty pages long, uh, more or yeah. less, give or take. You could read one, put it down, come back in a week, come back in a month, read another one. It's like it, there's no really, there's no rush to read it. Each story is more or less self-contained, and it's just like. Oh, I don't have anything. To, like I have, I have a, a half hour to kill and go read a story, and that's just it's perfect for that, right? And that's that's yep. to me that that's kind of like what I really like this this whole like story collection about is that I don't feel compelled. There's some books where you read it and you kind of feel like I have to read the next chapter, I have to read the next chapter, I have to read the next chapter. There's something to be said for a story that you can just pick up and put down, and you're good. You know, I mean that's it's, that's what. That's why we're podcasting, right? Because of that. Because we want right. that in our life. <laughs> right. Like, it's like, I'm there. It'll be good. I'll be good when you read me. Just come. I, I'm inviting you into the, the doors open. Just come in whenever you want. So, you know, that, that's kind of my feeling about this book. Yeah, it's like going and having coffee with a friend. That's a great analogy. I love that. So, I think that I, we've said all we have to say about this so thanks so much for joining us tonight our music is better days by john worthy you can contact us at wordlesspod at gmail.com i'm allison and that guy's mark good night wait wait the podcast isn't over yet I really love this book. <laughs> it's you liked it more than I, I liked it, but like you're like I love this book. It was good. I was just, but I was also like, fine, you know. I, I, just I don't know made how to you feel like it. you're in school again. I no. Did I, you really read this in school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. That's what I'm getting. I was like. Little bits and pieces, then kind of like you put it all together, like, oh, that's the kind of author he's going to be. Oh, that's pretty fucking good. Well, like I said, this is the first time I've read it, and it is very rereadable because I've had to, because re we read it back in September, I think it was. And getting to, so I, I've read it now probably three times. You should have said that. It just has, I don't know, it just got under my skin, I guess you could say. Wait, you should have talked about that. <laughs> it really did get under my skin. I really enjoyed it. Well, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I really do. Um, Sorry I'm your school marm. <laughs> it's fine, I got... Oh, shit. What? I have this awesome quote from your story. And I totally didn't say it. What's the awesome quote? It's too much. I'm numb and I'm tired. Too much has happened today. I feel like I've been in a pounding rain for 48 hours without an umbrella or a coat. I am soaked to the skin with emotion. Good. Okay. Why did you say it? Because I, it was at the bottom of my spreadsheet and I didn't roll, scroll so you down. You need to have like this whole, whole outro where it's like, I love the story. The story is great. And I forgot to add this. Blah, 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 blah. Yep. It's going to suck. <laughs>
mean, I can't believe oh, this. I just love it. I'm soaked to the skin with emotion is such a good line. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. You suck. Oh, I failed at my job today. I failed at podcasting. You I did. I did not bring my game. I felt like the whole. Sorry. No, it's my fault. And I felt like I was just having problems getting back in the groove. So we need to at least pretend to broadcast more. <laughs> okay. We'll do that. We'll do that for sure. And uh, thankfully, like uh, a lot of my nat, well, whatever. I should have more free time now. So. Oh, yeah. You keep saying that. Well, I gotta edit shit.